We're sitting together after our pizza and beer session, and we're talking about issues around the world with a focus on Albuquerque. And I thought that Ruben would share some of his thoughts uh, as he's what I would probably call a keen observer of uh, people. And, uh, you know, being in the uh, sales industry, like we both are, we get a chance to be exposed to a variety of thoughts and opinions. Ruben, talk to me about some of your thoughts. Like, let's start with, you know, the news issues that are going on around the world right now. Yeah, so one thing I find interesting is the news's tendency to shift from one issue to the next, even when the previous issue still exists. Take, for example, COVID. For a while, every night, all the newsreels were about COVID and how many COVID cases, hospitalizations we've had, etc. For about a year, year and a half, two years, then when the war in Ukraine started, that took over the news waves. They were no longer talking about COVID, even though COVID still exists. The war in Ukraine was the new focus. Yeah, I really don't think that they thought that president out there in Ukraine, Vladimir Zolinsky, was really going to be anything. And yet, being an individual that understands very well about social media, took advantage of something that was very unique, in that he knew that the public around the world would actually be listening in. So there was less possibility that this next war being applied by Russia, who wouldn't even call it a war, um, would be ignored. And all of a sudden, it became kind of like front and center, even with the United Nations and with the EU and the United States. Some people think that, you know, president is a little crazy for pouring so much money into this state that's not much larger than the state of Texas. And yet, we're in a very unusual wartime situation. I mean, it's not like Vietnam, and it's certainly not like Afghanistan. We don't have boots on the ground. Our people aren't getting hurt. And yet, we're still in a war that some of us might even call a virtual one because we're being held to the fire of what's being created that's threatening our very way of life all the way around the world in one variety or of another. I never thought I would live to see the day that war is broadcasted live via TikTok and Twitter. Uh, that's something wild, even as a, someone who borders between Gen Z and Millennial that essentially grew up with social media and social media technology. But it does allow us to you know, essentially see what's happening and what unfolds like live and allows us to see, I would say in a way it kind of cuts down on the ability for any site to hide anything because we're seeing live what happens. Like you can't, you can't cover up a Twitter live feed of a bombing very easily, that's for sure. Right, like all this war is now being covered by drones and we're seeing almost every day being bombarded all these images that are pretty horrific 
and it can't be well hidden anymore. You're absolutely correct. It does create an interesting precedent to see how social media plays a role in future conflicts. Yeah, I mean, I'm thinking about how the news shifted towards baby formula now. Um, You mentioned that a little bit uh, before, and I'd like to discuss this a little bit more now. Ava Labs is a big laboratory that produces infant formula, and they've been having problems since what? How far back does it go? February, I believe. February. And yet, it's all coming up now. At least I haven't heard much of it now. And it seems like that's bigger than a world war. I think part of the problem is that there's a lot of babies that need special types of formula. They can't just have like any old generic baby formula. And because of that, because of the shortage, some of them are getting sick and possibly dying because they can't get the nutrition that they need, which that is terrible. You know, it's interesting how it's showing up now. I'm not quite sure how that happened. Right, and we're looking at the news always expressing how high the prices for gas are. And yet no one's really talking about how the oil companies are being held to task for taking advantage of the world situation. When Biden coordinated around the world with all the um, hydrocarbon reserves and poured that into the, the what they call the World Bank of Hydrocarbon uh, and got everybody to do their part, still the prices went up. So it had nothing to do so much with the lack of oil available, but it was what the oil companies were dictating that they wanted to charge. And yet that understanding, although alarming, seems to not have much coverage in the news. Not much discussion is going on there. I remember reading in the newspaper recently, I didn't only got as far as the headline, but it um, was talking about how a gas station was in trouble for price gouging. These companies... These massive companies still have so much power over setting the price for something as essential in American culture as fuel. Because if you can't afford fuel, how are you going to get to work to make the money to get the fuel? It's kind of like the snake eating itself. Yes, and Albuquerque is spread really wide apart. I mean, it doesn't pay to buy brand new tires, for example, because you're going to go through them really fast, whether they're new or whether they're used. So it becomes an issue of, well, how much do you want to pay for the tires for your car that you know you're going to replace in a year and a half or two anyway, depending on how you drive. Uh, So yeah, it really matters how much it goes into our tank and how much of our, our pay is going for our car. And the question I always ask in my mind, in a kind of a euphemistic way, is what is going to be paid for first? Food to keep us sustained or gasoline for our cars? I have a few co-workers that are somehow able to Uber or take some sort of form of public transit to work, which they're able to do because they live nearby. For people like me who lives on the other side of town, taking public transit would take prohibitively way too long two hours maybe busing back and forth to get to work or taking an uber which if an uber would cost like a two mile uber would cost me eleven dollars oh man imagine how much like a 17 mile uber would cost two two ways so like 30 miles that would add up very quickly which you know why so many of us at least in places like New Mexico need cars since our public transit is so poor. Well, I know they're trying to make the public transit better. I mean, at one point, the only public transit there was was 
the uh, buses going back and forth for the uh, Sunport. And so things have improved. But you're right, um, public transportation really has to improve way faster than I think that what the city of Albuquerque has really planned on in their uh, urban development. And that's going to be a lot of issues. You know, one of the things that, that leads my mind to thinking about is, you know, the idea is that uh, should America make more of their own stuff and be less dependent on other countries? That's been a question that's been going on for you know a long time. The arguments that are that are coming out uh, range from companies who are basically talking about their issues and maintaining uh, being a company and uh, all the way down to what they think is going to happen at the consumer level. I mean, I hear anything from manufacturing to wage issues. The main argument is, oh, but we'll have to raise prices and pass that on to the consumer. I highly doubt that if, if McDonald's workers were paid a little more, that the Big Mac would actually have to go up like an extra dollar to compensate. Or even if we pulled more of our manufacturing over stateside. I mean, part of the reasons for all the supply chain issues is because we rely so much on other countries. And when another country has to go on lockdown, that kind of screws over literally everyone else. Yeah, that's what they call blockchain supply issues. And really, I think that issue is a lot deeper than what we're being told as the consumer. What a surprise. Um, and it's almost to the point of being a loss leader by itself, because when you look in comparisons like companies like Tesla, Apple, Walmart, uh, they announce that they don't seem to have these Terminator issues, and yet motor car companies like Ford, uh, Chevy, seem to have more problems with parts supply than ever. Yet in reality, this has been an issue since the mid-60s when the automakers closed down plants in Michigan, and it has never really come back from that time. They would rather have parts being manufactured overseas and then, you know, reap a larger profit in selling the cars back to us. So the question that I'm wondering about that you talked about briefly is, are we in a dystopia right now? Is this a scary time? To a certain extent, yeah. I would imagine that there's been a period in most generations where they thought or experienced living in a dystopia. Back in the 30s, people in the Great Depression were living in dystopian times, World War II, uh, so on and so forth throughout history. But definitely in the modern era, I would say, yeah. As a sales associate, part of my responsibilities is trying to upsell and sell warranties on products to people. It's under the planned obsolescence. You buy something that's cheaply made, knowing that it's going to break, so you buy a warranty uh, in order to make up for that, as opposed to just making a better product that's supposed to last longer. When I ask a customer whether or not they want to buy a warranty sometimes, they would rather, when I give them the option between either buying a warranty or giving a $5 donation to a local school or to a local firefighter, for example, a lot of the times they'll actually choose the donation and reject the warranty. It's almost as if their desire to help others or like, you know, the sense of feeling part of something bigger that you get from that overrides uh, buying something that's going to protect your new mouse that you bought, for example. The value in helping others is stronger than the value of the product you just bought almost. Yeah, they feel that the product should 
have quality enough to stand up on its own without having to have a warranty attached to it. Yeah, I totally agree. So you mentioned about, you know, people feeling like in control and want to be able to give back. The idea of really making a difference in their own small little part. So a question that I think I'd like to explore a little bit, yes, uh, is that you said, you know, even when people get together in large groups and organizations and, and make a really big stink, have things really changed? I mean, in policy, you know, we talk about Black Lives Matter and, you know, are, have cops really gotten the message? Many people would say no. Uh, so what is bringing awareness really all about? At least on the internet, whenever the new nas- new next national tragedy happens, sometimes people's responses, "Oh, thoughts and prayers." And while on the surface that functionally does nothing, sometimes it might be all that like people can do. Even if you go to a protest or two or three or five, how much really happened when the next week later you hear that the next tragedy happened either in your town or the next town over? Yet. At the same time, those protests you were part of were widely televised. Everyone saw them. Everyone hopped on social media to give their opinion. Everyone either agreed or disagreed and fought it out in the comments section. Yet that next tragedy just happened? Even look at, like, the Buffalo shooting up in New York. This is just the latest in a trend that's been, like, increasing for the past several years. People will go in a cycle. The tragedy happens. Everyone talks about it online, says, oh, this is terrible, we should do something. They'll organize, they'll protest, people talk about the protests, the protests die down, and then the next thing happens. Ad nauseum, essentially. So I re- last year I graduated with my bachelor's in psychology, oh. but as of this fall or summer, I'm going to be starting my master's program in education, I'm going to be teaching history. Uh, so that's definitely going to be an interesting experience. I'm looking forward to it, especially a lot of my background is in sociology and I kind of look at history through the sociological lens, through conflicts between different groups, why different groups do what they do, that sort of stuff. So for one of the projects I did for our class on community organizing and activism essentially, one of our final projects was to uh, come up with a uh, program, plan, events, what have you, that would affect some sort of social change about something that we cared about. And something that's always fascinated me is understanding how people on the other side of the political spectrum think and essentially how to bring them over, for lack of a better word, or at least, you know, get them to see the other point of view. You know, when you look at prejudices and stuff like that, sometimes people have a class issue that they end up turning into a race issue. For example, another class I took that essentially was about prejudices and discrimination Uh, One of the readings was about a gentleman who joined the KKK, but was later bought out of that and became a civil rights activist um, upon becoming friends with a black woman. That's a very loose paraphrasing of how it happened. But, you know, you just wonder, like, what caused that in the first place? How do you empathize with that man's living situation that brought him to such a dark place? What brought him out? So, the reason is racial hatred is really rooted into a lack of education resources or an opportunity to be a better human being is that really what you're trying to talk about as a process or is it rooted someplace else i think the issue could have a variety of different roots but i think that one is a pretty major one i remember even in that story he was saying that part of the reason he 
fell into that rabbit hole was because he felt it was easier to blame black people or racial minority, which is a physical being that you can see and, you know, detect with all five of your senses than to blame an abstract, like, idea such as a country. Like, oh, if you say something, oh, this is my country's fault, that's abstract. That doesn't really mean anything on the surface level. You're like, oh, I'm poor because of insert group here. That's a much easier thing to latch onto because you can see and point to that group or a person or thing as being the cause of your problems. So you're thinking with the previous presidency brought that out, it was already brewing, if you will, in the country. I mean, New Mexico, at one point, we had the uh, Tea Parties, and then we had the alt-rights. And, you know, there's always a alt-something. And yet, it really, it was there, but it wasn't right in your face, in your grill there. It seems that the pendulum has sort of swung to the, uh, I'm going to take back this country and get what's mine. And some of that is, I think, directly causes some of even our court's decisions, uh, especially the highest court in the land, that's leaving a lot of people in dismay. Justices who we've depended on to be a virtuous thing are doing the same trend, which is grabbing on to uh, taking back this country. I mean, what do you think? What do you think we're taking this back from? I've seen... A lot of arguments from the right talk about demographic changes or the uh, Great Replacement, as it's as it's called. And of course, my first gut reaction is to be like, "Oh, that's silly, stupid, unimportant. Why would that even be a thing?" But I guess if you really try to like put your put yourself in their shoes, if you're if you're used to living life a certain way, and all of a sudden all of that changes and you essentially are forced to relearn things, even if the things that you're relearning are for the better, even if all these things are ultimately to make society better, in a way I could understand why seeing a bunch of societal changes at once might cause your standard conservative a sort of whiplash, for lack of a better word. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if it's... I don't know if altruism is really the right word, but... It has to do with the thought our intrinsic values seem to be shifting and awareness of that is making people really uncomfortable. I mean, I was looking recently at the uh, Facebook site of all the people who had died because of the COVID illness, and I was shocked to realize that uh, the majority of them had never been immunized or even had wanted to. And, you know, it's it's sad because, you know, you see all their smiling faces and realize that, you know, they had a whole lot of life ahead of them. And yet everybody, I think, in Albuquerque especially, I look at that because I live here, um, can point to someone who has had COVID and some have been very sick because of that. In fact, UNM right now has really shifted in how they take care of you in the emergency rooms. And I think a lot has to do with the COVID. I mean, no longer do you get yourself a little slot or a cubicle with a bed, but you're put into a community room. And, you know, they sort of 
you know, bring you into their little offices and they're like, call themselves mini providers. So they have their whole word structure and everything built around the fact that they don't have enough resources to actually adequately treat you and keep you separate from other people who are sick. And it's unfortunate that we've had to make these kinds of changes to reflect something that really is making the world very unhappy and uncomfortable. And so I'm wondering if some of this racial hatred is stemming from that unhappiness. Yeah, I mean, um, on the COVID note, I've seen like news reports and stories of people who had COVID who didn't get the vaccine. Some, of course, were like, oh, hey, can I get the vaccine now? And of course, unfortunately for them at that point, it's sometimes too late. But I've seen a few where even as they're on their bed with COVID, when asked if they would get the vaccine, they still wouldn't get it. I think part of it comes down to, like, like earlier with the sudden change of values, Americans, we Americans, you know, pride, on us, pride ourselves on our individualism, our ability to do our own thing, essentially, and being told that we have to get a shot or have to wear a mask kind of flies in the face of what we would consider American values, even if that thing ultimately is for our own good. I'd imagine if you've grown up in an environment where that is a highly valued value or trait, anything that would threaten that, even if it ultimately is for the best, uh, could seem like a, uh, an insult of sorts. So you're saying in some way people are dying for their values, uh, like it's some kind of uh, war to that's challenging democracy. Um, is is that what I heard? I mean, is that right? That that's that's how I imagine they view it as. Uh, of course, even the problem with that is it's not even a issue of individual freedom because with the pandemic, the virus spreads to others. So even if you are insistent on asserting your individual rights or what have you to not get vaccinated, you are still putting others in danger, which is where I guess that argument kind of falls apart. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons for these decisions, and that's probably a wider uh, discussion than what we can do tonight. But um, yeah, I find it very interesting is that how individuals identify democracy, personal freedom, with, you know, taking back something that they feel like, like Paul Harvey, he would sit there and say, I'm standing on the corner and I'm looking at my country changing out from underneath me and I ask, what happened not to me so much as what happened to my country? I can understand that. Uh, but I also understand that there has to be more of a community going on and not so much of a fight for our rights at any cost. And yet I'm sure there are many people that would disagree with me on that and say that, you know, it's worth it. It's hard for me to understand. Definitely. As much as I disagree with anything and everything that conservatives and the alt-right stand for, I've always found it fascinating trying to figure out why they think what they think. It would allow for much, not necessarily debate, but more discussion that could bring them over, for lack of a better word. Because like I said earlier, even with COVID, ultimately, even if you go with the individual freedoms argument, you're still hurting others. 
you know, the right, uh, the right for me to swing my arm ends at your nose sort of deal, except they're swinging their arms into a lot of other people's noses, perhaps intentionally, perhaps unintentionally. <laughs> yeah, um, we won't know for sure. But it does make me realize about bringing awareness up is just as important whether we disagree or agree with the other people. I think uh, looking in Albuquerque and the demographics alone, people living at different places in Albuquerque, having different strata of jobs, and uh, making different choices based on that, and yet we all come together in Target and Smith's and uh, Staples, and we don't necessarily preach our politics, although I think some people would if they give them the opportunity, and yet it's that lack of commitment to communication and being, you know, respectful that causes the problems and the friction because we are coming from such a diverse uh, community within the city. And it surprises me how many people have very, shall I say, committed points of view uh, and would rather not change. And I think the best part about going to our schools here, the colleges, UNM and community, is that it raises the community's education level to make good decisions. And we hope that these decisions will help us through to the next generation. Ruben, thank you very much for this interview. You've been very frank and uh, open about your thoughts. And that's helped me too feel a little better because I have to be honest, I've been feeling pretty down about the situation and I didn't really know where to take my podcast, you know, anymore. And um, you've helped me to think that through a little more and I want to appreciate that with you. Thank you for having me on. I always uh, enjoy these. Thank you.